0: to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. With me this evening is my good friend and co-host. Chad Mix. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. Uh, so, Chad, um, all the way back in 2015, the very first episode of this podcast was convened to talk about Avengers Age of Ultron, and then the first joint podcast The first real official Movies on the Brain podcast uh, in which the two of us partook of talking about movies occurred with Ant-Man, the 2015 Marvel movie that ended phase two and uh, prepared the world for phase three. And here we are, all these years later, in our 299th episode, we'll be we'll uh, will consist of a spoiler cast review of the uh, 30th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that would be uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, Your thoughts, sir, uh, overall, on the global phenomenon that is Black Panther Wakanda Forever?
1: Well, I guess I should say first and foremost that uh, I'm probably very biased when it comes to to Black Panther um, for a number of reasons. But uh, like the first one is really near and dear to me. So uh, I was, you know, I was excited, but uh, like trepidatious about the second one, period. Um, the, and that was just when it was first announced, just because the first one is so good and meant so much that I knew it'd be hard to replicate or even come close to that with a second. And that's before we take into the fact that, you know, we lost the star, um, Chadwick Boseman, and then, you know, COVID happened to the rest of us. And, and the, all the things that happened with this production, And um, I would, once all that happened, I was just really, really worried about this whole thing. Like, I know when we talked about it, Uh, I kept reiterating that I can't believe this movie is still coming out this year with everything it had to deal with, but it came and it's here. And, um, I really, really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I've only seen it the once, but I am going to see it again. Uh, like for very general thoughts, I think that Ryan Coogler is one of the best, if not the best filmmaker that Marvel has. Um, uh, while the film is not perfect, it is uh, emotionally it resonant. Uh, it has something to say for people that like to say that a lot of these, particularly with Marvel, don't have anything anything to say. This one does. Uh, and to pull it together in all the circumstances, he is uh, he. You can't say enough about the guy as a director. Uh, and there are some beautiful and wonderful performances throughout this whole thing. Uh, and it's it's a kind of a marriage of those things that make everything else around this movie work, even the things that don't work so well. So all in all, I really, really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I haven't really seen a whole bunch of negative thoughts about the movie. Uh, and the box office is proving that people like it. We'll see how the legs look. But last I saw was at 181. Uh, domestic for the weekend?
0: 183, I believe, is the number that it ended on.
1: Oh, so it it went up a little bit more. Okay, 183. I was kind of hoping it would be Doctor Strange, but it didn't. So uh, it's the second... I think it's the second biggest opening of the year.
0: It is the biggest opening in November. It is uh, one of the top 15 opening weekends of all time. Uh It is the biggest November opening of all time. Um, It is... Uh, the I want to say it's the number eight MCU debut of all time. Um, it's under the original Black Panther, but that's you know uh, not a surprise given the release corridor and also just uh, you know some some of the exhilarating factors there. But you know just because the movie doesn't open to two hundred plus million, uh, we haven't had a two hundred plus million opener yet in the post-pandemic world so let's just kind of kind of hit the brakes on that but I think we're what we're proving is that Marvel regardless of character is the box office king of the world right and, and they can put it out there and it will make the money
1: right um I mean we knew it was gonna it was gonna do well but uh how well you know that was up to seen. particularly because this well, is in November as a well, the other one was in February, but, you know.
0: But that that was the thing about the, the other one, Chad, was the other one was the first Black Panther movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Rhodey had been in the MCU for, what, eight years at that point and had not had a movie. This is the first solo Black superhero movie since probably Blade. Um, it was released in February during uh, Black History Month. And it was, it had a proper marketing campaign behind it too. Um, you know, so there were some differences there. This was a truncated publicity campaign. And while they, as we pointed out last week, they had ramped it up substantially in the last few weeks, it's still like that first trailer didn't drop till Comic Con in July, you know, so like a July to November three month cycle compared to what was probably if i remember correctly an eight to ten mile cycle for black panther was. uh the first time around uh, i remember distinctly the first trailer um for it dropping during one of the college football playoff national champions the, the the 2016 college football national championship game between uh alabama and georgia that so was, like,
1: that was the second trailer the first yeah. trailer was the NBA finals the year before
0: the June the June NBA finals before right. um so like that's a much longer publicity campaign than what they got this go around and they had less time to make people as culturally aware of the thing and so all praise to them for getting the numbers that they did and as much use out of it as they did
1: right yeah um but yeah that that's uh my my very very uh general thoughts on it uh i so oh no go ahead
0: so so my general thoughts here are this is a very moving traumatic cathartic polarizing to an extent in my view reflection on grief and loss which is super ironic considering the main theme of phase four everybody's like this is all over the place there is (laughs) not no generalizations here yes there is grief and death and how we deal with loss that's that's the whole thing post flip how do we deal with the people who came back and how do we deal with the people that we lost and like this film is the culmination of it and it is a testimony to what happens when grief takes hold of your life. Um one of my favorite things about this movie is that both characters, both lead characters lose their mothers. And both both lead characters, the loss of both lead characters' mothers spurs them on to the places that they go. Um, for Neymar, it spurs him to hate colonialism, to hate imperialist, and to hate the surface world as a whole and want to destroy them all. And in Ciri, the death of her mother at the hands of Neymar drives her down the darkest path she's been on and drives her to anger and vengeance, which is a place that's far different than anything we've seen from anybody else in that world. So um, it's it's narratively rich. It's full of great performances. It's got a beautiful set design and a beautiful production design and costume design. Um, it's not a film for everybody, and it's not a film that does everything great. But I could say the exact same thing about Thor: Love and Thunder. That movie definitely ain't for everybody. Um. So yeah, I like there was. There's just a lot here and a lot of really good, deep, substantive stuff that. I don't think people were
1: really prepared for. That's funny because uh I I would think that well to be fair, I haven't really looked at all, all of the critiques, but I know most of the, the the people I think that would critique this are the people that um would say that Marvel doesn't have any substance. And I think this is one of the more substantive movies Marvel has made. And I just kind of anticipate those same people having some coming up with some other excuse out of their ass. About not liking the movie, when this is what they asked for. A lot of phase, uh, I think this is the best of phase four. But a lot of phase four is is people saying they wanted Marvel to try different things and do different things, and then complaining that that's exactly what they got. So it's kind of a microcosm of phase four. But I do think it will resonate with four people. Um, uh, like um <laughs> the like the and we'll get I know we'll get into it later but like the overarching like bad guy of this piece um I know Namor is the antagonist but I don't think he is the bad guy and I and people that um may sympathize with who I'm going to say is the bad guy might not like this movie uh but those kind of people don't typically like movies with a lot of black and brown people in them either so yeah
0: so so here's my thing um The biggest plot issue with me for this movie, it doesn't even, it doesn't even qualify in my bad.
1: Oh, wait, uh, wait. uh, Because I don't know if we officially said it, but if you're listening to this, we are doing spoilers.
0: Yeah, Um, I I said that this was a spoiler cast.
1: This
0: is a spoiler cast of Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. So please, uh, if you haven't seen the movie by now, I've already spoiled, like, at least three things from it. So,
1: Yeah, but you know, you you know how people are. They don't listen the first time. We got to keep saying it. But this is the last time. If they don't, if they didn't get it at this point, it's on you, not on us.
0: So my overarching bad for the it doesn't even qualify as my bad for the movie, but the narrative thing that I think was the most disjointed. And I did see some of those criticisms that there was that that not every thread works, right? That was one of the the few the few big criticisms that landed on this film. If you read the backstory, and there was a great Variety article that dug deep into the making of the movie, and Brian Kugler has done multiple interviews, including a podcast that you listen to about the making of the film.
1: Great podcast. And,
0: and one of the things that comes shining through is that there were elements of this story that existed before Chaz with the that were part of the 300-page manuscript that they sent to chad that he was too tired to read um and neymar was part of that the underwater kingdom was a part of that and the threat to wakanda as a result of that was a part of it coogler's been on the record as saying another focus of that piece instead of being on the loss of the king and protector it was more on the loss of Time. time yeah and so that was a thing but they say very specifically in the variety piece that there was a subplot um that involved the United States government the CIA and governments trying to issue regime change <laughs> that yeah. was part of the original screenplay or part of the revamping of the screenplay And that over time, that became less interesting to the filmmakers Mm -hmm. as just Neymar's desire for a alliance and Wakanda's resistance and that being a motivating factor in why he decides to take the step that he takes. And so it became drifted less, more and more away from the CIA of it all and more towards Neymar just pulling a, a Michael Corleone and going to war regardless. Um, and so as a result, when you see the finished film, all the Val stuff with, uh, all the Val stuff with. Um,
1: Martin Freeman. what Everett Ross. Everett Ross. With,
0: with, with Everett Ross kind of goes nowhere, right? I mean, he gets mm-hmm. arrested for the cell phone conversations and and you know relaying classified information but like it doesn't really go anywhere aside from us learning that Val and Ross were once married (laughs) and it, it establishes that she's the CIA director
1: right
0: like and Philadelphia just lost their first game of the year um but yeah that's not like it it dies off and it's a creative change and it's one of the few moments in the film where I realized that there were some test screenings done and some reactions changed some things that I noticed more than I do in most Marvel movies. So like I, I I get people's complaint about the CIA plot, not going anywhere, but there's a reason the filmmakers chose in the middle of filming to go in a different way.
1: Yeah, that one. um, I mean, I have issues with the movie too. That is, that is one is one of my lesser ones like I got what I got what they were going for you have Martin Freeman he was in the first one uh you have Julie Lewis, Lewis Dreyfus uh you can establish that but I can like I didn't know that it was a bigger part and I'm and I kind of disappointed because I think there, there's some interesting things you can do with that other part but there's so much in this movie as it is I understand why they they moved away from it uh but in doing that i do think that uh we could probably take everything with those two out of this movie and nothing changes
0: yeah and that's the same way you can be with the goats in 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 for love and thunder you can do that with a couple of different things in a couple of different marvel movies um but like you know it's 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 that that's a layer of political commentary they didn't need when your main theme is grief and grief and loss. and um you still accomplish the same objective of making imperialism the enemy um in the end anyway,
1: right uh, well, yeah, uh, yes, um trying to figure out how I want to say this like when you when we come to the end of this movie, um well, no, it's not even the end of the movie. Like somewhere in the middle of the movie, you kind of the the real threat to to both of the places plays out. I mean, it is the 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 colonialism, for lack of a better word, and that is pretty. That is that is what throws everything in motion. That these other countries want resources that the, the home countries have said you can't have, and their persistence to try to have them is what's burnt, what starts. All of this, which is why I said Namor is not—I wouldn't say he is the villain. He is the antagonist. Uh, he does some very bad things, but it's within his character and the way he does them. He does them in a very like, you know, warlike way. It's not like he takes any joy in doing. Like, I mean, we're doing spoilers. It's not like he takes any joy in killing Ramonda. He knew exactly what he was doing. That's exactly what he wanted. But he did, and he did it. To put all the pressure now upon Shuri, and to him, it's strategic. They uh, he he declared war. Well, they they killed his people, some of his people, and defied him in what he wanted. That's a, that's the a declaration of war. He took out the head of the nation and put it in for him would have been somebody of lesser status, uh, a less capable person and was, and like, I'm gonna come back and take it all over. If this was a warning shot, I'll come back and take it all over, so I'm either gonna wipe y'all out, or you gonna bend the knee. He he doesn't do it out of malice. He does it out of, like, a sense of duty. So, yes, antagonists, uh, but the real villains here are, uh, you know, the people well, who meet it's,
0: it. it's It's international diplomacy, right? right. Like, essentially, I, I wouldn't Neymar say... knows that his <laughs> nation combined with Wakanda can withstand any invasion or any incursion that might occur. Right. Um, there's a great part of this movie that's like, you know, con like Wakanda that had the asteroid and all of that, but it like the asteroid didn't just land one place, that there are vibranium sites in other places. And therefore, if you deny them, even though you're the greatest supplier of it, they're still going to seek it out other places, which is now affecting us. So if you join us and we work together, we can defeat them and prevent them from having any of our resources and protecting both of our people. But if you don't, they're just gonna come wipe my people out the same way that the Spanish came in it and the conquistadors just laid waste to all of my people and forced us underwater. <laughs> so, you know, help us. And they're like, um, no. And then we get into war. Um with the you know stage killing of of one of the people as a a mock um as a, as a mock reason to go to war, um, which again I love the fact that there's an underlying theme in phase four about making up reasons to go to war and depose dictators. It's just completely awesome. As somebody who grew up in early to mid two thousands politics, it's just absolutely hilarious. And somebody who may or may not have been waterboarded by the federal government. Um it's an interesting take. Um but um it, it's it's fun and and I enjoy that subpolitical part of phase four and particularly of this film.
1: Yeah I, I I would have only liked to see it like not the the declaration of war part, but the whole, you know, uh the subtakes of of the, the politicians and basically, you know, from my view, they're overstepping their bounds about wanting resources that don't belong to them. But again, I understand because this movie does a lot. It's got a lot going on.
0: So let's talk about our overall good or bad and not so good because that is what we do on these spoiler review podcasts. So, Chad, let's start off with your good. What is your favorite thing about this movie?
1: Okay, so let's see how I'm gonna do this. All right, I'm gonna do the do one set first, and then I'm gonna do the next one. I want to get the first one out of the way. So um, the set design, the costumes for this are immaculate, and Ruth Carter and and Hannah Bleacher have already won Oscars for the first movie. I and that makes me think they won't win one for this one but uh, I, I, at least Hannah Bleacher needs to be nominated, because again, we're dealing with uh, underwater civilization, and she did, she had to make all that up in the set design, and it is wonderful to look at. There's always stuff going on, and it's all infused with the cultures it's supposed to be infused with. I just wanted to shout that out, because we don't normally talk about that stuff, but uh, I would appreciate it if those two ladies are at least nominated again. Uh, also on the nomination train, uh, I'm going to say this real quick and move it, move past it. I think Marvel should finally get its first like acting nomination, and I think it should be supporting for Angela Bassett uh, because a lot of this doesn't like she stirs the drink for the first half of this movie, and like a lot of the emotional punch has to come from her, and she is absolutely killing it through this whole through the movie that she's there. I think she does enough to at least earn a a, uh, a nomination. I don't know who else is going to be nominated for, for me to say she should win, but I think a nomination should come full stop, full stop. Uh, with that out of the way, my favorite thing about this movie is that, again, it, it's a movie that has something to say and it does it in multiple ways to get to... The, the one endpoint that it has um which you know the, we you you've already said a couple times this movie is about grief um and coming to terms with grief and the way it's staged our uh, protagonist goes through all of the stages of grief throughout the movie and has and and that's the journey of this movie uh but like the ad the antagonist is like a mirror to her lowest point which would be her anger. He's sort of a reflection of that and that's why they have the relationship that they do in this movie. So it the movie knows what it wants. One it wants the story that it wants to tell. And that it and that this movie has the story to tell with everything else around it. Again, is a testament to all the people involved. Uh and I th- I just thought it was executed very well. Um and I, and listening to that podcast with Ryan Kugler today, and and the things that I know about him, I do feel like he and I are are of a similar similar temperament, and like probably value set when it comes to um, like resolving things of anger and stuff. So I know a lot of people would not be thrilled with how he resolves anger in the first movie and in this one. Uh, but I, it, you know, it it resonates with me, but it's just I just thought it was wonderful storytelling, even through the flaws. It was wonderful storytelling from everyone involved, director, uh, production, costumes, actors all the way across the board.
0: So you definitely see the passion and the drive. He gave everything he had to this and it shows everybody's intensity shows on this. Um, My good for this film is I also have two. One is is Remy Williams. I absolutely love the Ironheart uh, character drop. I love her whole attitude. I love her Spider-Man like introduction. Um, I like the character dynamics there. The fact that she knows about Wakanda, that she's, you know, that she's in awe of how this works and everything. And I can't wait for the Ironheart series, which is something I didn't think that I would say before I walked into this movie. Um, I need more of her, and I need more of the, the, the quick the quick wit and the temperament and all of the things. The design on the suit um, is a little too Big Hero 6 slash Ultron for me. Um, I know you don't want to get close to mm-hmm. what the Iron Man suit is. So I get why you make the distinction in the design. But still, um really wish they would have done something different there. Um but she and her whole personality and her whole mannerisms and everything she brings to that character are amazing and I can't wait to see more of it. The second thing that is in my good this movie lulls to a crawl when angela bassett's character dies there is a very specific thing that very tangible thing that is missing from the second half of the third act from the second half of act two to the beginning to all the way through to the end that is missing and it is her eccentric passionate devoted cathartic performance that was moving those first two and a half, first act and a half along. And so when you remove it, as you, you called it earlier, the straw that stirs the drink, uh, that's that drink stops spinning really quickly once she's gone. And part of that is just because you have to delve into the elongated, or what in my view was, the elongated making of the plant and the, the whole trip the, the getting to the trip to the uh, the ancestral plane and everything. but like you miss her as a character once she's gone and you feel the movie feels her impact. And that to me, is a tremendous sign of her depiction of the character and what she did for the movie. Um, the rules are very, 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 very different for lead actress versus supporting actress. In that lead actress requires a minimum screen, per, screen uh, a minimum screen time requirement. You have to be able to be identified as a lead and been on screen for more than twenty five percent of the film. For a for a best supporting actress nomination, you can literally be on the screen for two minutes. It doesn't matter. And my favorite example of this is uh, Anne Hathaway, who won her Oscar. For Roland Le miz where she's on screen for like maybe five minutes, has one huge song, and then dies. So, like, you don't have to have a ton of screen time in a movie to to land best supporting. And honestly, at this point in time, with where the Oscar race is going to be, I think supporting is going to be a a bit murkier of a of a category. And so, you may have a better path to a nomination slash victory in supporting rather than leave um how they navigate that with the academy will be interesting but um you know it, it's she is definitely missed when she's gone and it's it's a testament to what she did in the first act and a half of that film that uh that
1: really moves it yeah i agree with all of that i think uh as far as the oscar goes i think they would they would go with supporting i think uh
0: yeah, because yeah. if if you if you end up in lead, then you're then you're going probably at least up against uh, Amy De Adams. Uh, what's what's her name? Avada Adams, the girl from knives out.
1: Um, oh, uh, wait. Uh, the the lead in is out.
0: The female lead,
1: yeah. Oh, uh, Anna de Armas. Yes.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, so she was in Blondie. Which I am fairly certain her portrayal of Marilyn Monroe will get her an Oscar nomination. So there's there's a lead there. Kate Blanchett's going to get nominated as a lead for Tar. Um, you know, so there's there's two uh, performances right there where you can guarantee that that she's going that they're going to be on there. Um, I think that if you uh, we don't know yet about Michelle Williams in the Phil Bombs. Uh, I would say that you'd probably at this point have a lock for Margot Robbie for Babylon, Uh, although why Babylon and Glass Onion had their premiere on the same night makes no sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that would be three uh, just off the top of my head. And if you throw Michelle Yeoh in there as uh, for everything, everywhere, all at once, that's four lead performances. So that just leaves the one spot. Whereas with supporting, I can't really think off the top of my head of a, a strong, supporting female, uh, uh, lead actress that a performance that would that would be nomination worthy right now.
1: Yeah, to know. Yeah, Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think they will put her in lead. I mean, technically they could. I mean, it's almost a, it's almost a co lead movie with with Shuri um but
0: and I, and again you'd have to have a screenplay breakdown a screen time back breakdown but both of them are on screen for more than 25 percent of the time
1: right and well, if you want to
0: go by cast build uh angela bassett gets the and <laughs> which is the all-important thing
1: right um but i I, th- I think they would i think from the way they told the story to how they would list it themselves And how they would think she, and how, if they really want to win, they would realize the best chance is probably with supporting. But I think she, I think she qualifies as supporting in the, she's as close to a co-lead as you can come, but I really think this is Shuri's story. Uh, It's, the first half is set up where it feels like both of their stories, but there is a clear point where it is just Shuri's story. And that's, uh, you know, like almost half of the movie. So. All right,
0: so let's move on to your not so good, Chad. What is your not so good about Wakanda Forever?
1: Well, uh, my not so good, you know, we've already t- kind of touched on it with uh, the whole Everett Ross, uh, um, um, what's her name? Uh, Val. Val. Uh, storyline. Uh, I understand why it's there, um, but you really could take it out and not lose anything uh it, it's a shame because you have Everett ross and you could have built upon what he was in the first one and they and they tried to do that but i mean I
0: feel, I feel like i was watching episode one because i felt like i'd heard the term life debt too many times try to what you know i felt like i was hearing jar jar binks it means i have life debt <laughs> he,
1: he did say that a couple times uh but I mean, he all in all, he he's in the movie for like what ten minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and that's a result of that. That's a result of that angle getting cut,
1: right? And the the most important the most important parts of their scenes together is more to establish Val than it is anything with Everett. Yeah, Everett's giving them getting them information, but you could have done that another way. But having someone to play off Val, uh. I I think the, of all, of anything in the movie, this is the most like MCU setup point that's in in this movie, and and it's fine because it's a it's a character that you know the the role she's playing can serve a part. You could have just had some random person play a CIA agent, and, and instead you had her, so you can use her. That's fine. It's just that with everything else going on in this movie, they kind of as you said they took a backseat from the filmmakers perspective uh because there were other things that interest them and then it kind of just makes them be a uh afterthought through the whole movie uh it's just it's just unfortunate it doesn't kill the movie for me but it does like their parts do slow the movie down and in the end of the day were basically unnecessary
0: was she in West Wing?
1: Uh, I've Julie... seen almost
0: every episode of, of West Wing. I can't remember if Julie Louis-Dreyfus had a cameo or had a had a guest starring role on on the West Wing, but okay. I know Richard Sheriff you know, was obviously a a lead on that show. So it was fun to, for me to see him back in uh, back in the political game, so to speak, with this uh, with this this role here. That was a fun cameo for me.
1: Um, but, but well, so fun fact. I've never seen any of the West Wing. However, I do know who Richard Sheriff is, and I know that because he is mm-hmm. in Man of Steel, which I've seen numerous times, including last night.
0: Indeed, um, but like, I think she was in. A, I think she had a guest starring role one year. I'm not sure. Of course, everybody knows Beep. So, like, it was just it was just great to see. I came away needing more Val too, because especially like. Val and Ross's chemistry together sparked enough for me to be like, I need a a buddy sitcom out of this. Uh, You know, kind of what you feel when you see um, War Machine or uh, where you see uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier um, in the car when when, uh, Cap goes to kiss uh, uh, Emily Van Camp. It's like, I could use more of this dynamic. Um, that's kind of how I felt about Val coming off. Did I need it in this movie? Nah, not necessarily. But now I know that she's the head of the CIA, which means she's dealing with Thunderbolt Ross, who's the head of the Defense Department. And so there you go. There's your Thunderbolt setup. Um, it also puts a very nice big bow on, uh, you know, the whole, um, it puts a very nice big bow on the whole, uh, you know, secret Avengers type thing she's been doing throughout Phase Four, and Black Widow, and Falcon, Winter Soldier, in um, Hawkeye, um, you know, where she where she's talking and recruiting these people. So I think you put a nice a nice little bow on that. Um, for me, my not so good would have been uh, was Lindwick Van Bangersian. How does he say his name?
1: Oh, it's just, uh, uh, Ludwig, uh, Ludwig, Ludwig Gorson. Ludwig Gorson.
0: Um, wasn't a fan of the score. Um, (laughs) was not a fan of the score. I, I didn't like what they did for Shuri. Um, and here, here's the one scene that I will point to that really like did it for me. Um, you know the scene where she debuts as Black Panther and jumps down from the ship and lands in the middle of the meeting. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no swelling, like music, like this is our big hero final reveal. Like the thing that everybody's been building toward and waiting for is another Panther, and here she is standing in the midst of all the regalia, and it didn't land, and it didn't land because there was almost no music. It was very understated. It was very mute and then when you get into the fight scenes and you, you have the whatever Shuri's version of the black panther theme is it doesn't fit her to me and it it kind of takes me out of some of those scenes um it's just not choice for me like you know maybe we've been spoiled with with great michael chino scores over the years um, and Ludwig did some amazing things on the first Black Panther. And I know you have to differentiate Suri's Black Panther theme from, Chet, from uh, T'Challa's. But, um, you know, we, we've got to get, like, that was my not so good. I just, I felt like we could have and should have gotten a better theme and a better score for this film.
1: So when I when I watched the movie the first time, like, I noticed bits and pieces of the score, but um, I didn't really, like, pay attention to it like I normally do. Normally what happens is I'll watch a movie, I'll hear the score, and I'll watch it again, I kind of hear it a little bit better, and then I'll listen to the score, and then I kind of make my final determination kind of then. So with this one, I know what you're talking about, well, sure, because uh, as it happens, uh, I listened to the score this morning. I listened to almost all of it. Um, actually I did listen to all of it so I know exactly what you're talking about with Shuri and what he does is like he takes part of the the for the lack of a better word the fanfare of of Black Panther uh the Black Panther theme from the last one uh, that kind of has trumpets but he does this like electronic kind of synth thing mixed into it that makes Shuri's Black Panther theme and Watching it in the theaters, I heard it, and I wasn't like offended by it, but it 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 stood out. So when I listened to it in the score, I'm like, okay, I I kind of see what he's doing because Shiri is like the tech based person. This is like, I think her theme is supposed to reflect her her uh, you know, dealing like being that tech based per- That tech based person with these sounds, so it can be off putting. I think. After, I think most people, if they watch it after a while, I think they'll get used to it and or might like it more. Uh, like, I, I think I know I walked out of the theater thinking that this score wasn't as good as the first one. Um, but I knew that whatever happened, whatever he was doing in uh, when Namor has the headdress on, and he comes out in the throne, whatever that was, I knew I liked that a whole lot. So that's why that's why I went back to listen to the score today. I wanted to listen to that again. And then I listened to the whole score again. And I still don't know if it's better than the first one, but he's doing more things. And he's doing more things to reflect the characters. Like, the Namor stuff is, it sounds like it's infused with things that would be more associated with, uh, like, Mesoamerican, Mexican culture. Uh, it And it really shows in... In the throne, in the throne room scene, because that track is called Namor's Throne, and that's why I, that's why it caught my attention. It's like that that music is really big, but it it also has a feel like I it made I knew that he was he was drawing off of that culture, and I could hear it in that, and that's what stood out to me and made me go back to it. So right now I can't say it's better than the first one. After a few more listens, I might change my mind, but I do I do think it. It's probably a score that will need to grow on people, particularly Shuri stuff, because it is so, it is so different from what we've heard before in the previous score and just different in sound. And, but I think that was the point.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it was also distinctly a director choice for that scene, but like, it just didn't hit for me the way that like, I thought that it should in that moment, it didn't feel like it hit the emotional beat I didn't feel like the music helped you hit the emotional beats that you were supposed to hit in that moment in that film.
1: Yeah. yeah, I got that.
0: Um, any other not so goods, Chad?
1: Um, no, I think that's kind of it.
0: Alright, so let's move on to our bad. What is the rare authentic bad that you have
1: for this movie? Um, so my... When I say the movie's not perfect, my my biggest issue would be, particularly the first half of the movie, uh, or maybe the first third, is that, you know that it has it's trying to do a lot. It's very ambitious, and it's trying to do a lot, and that's not that's not the bad. That is actually you know, um, um, to be commended, and it it pulls off a lot of what it's trying to do very well. But some of it, it doesn't. And my main issue is uh, like in the first third of the movie, it, the movie very much feels like it's, it, it it feels almost disjointed a little bit. Um, It it feels like a collection of scenes that don't all like cohesively fit together. And it goes like that for a while, up until I would say, up until we meet Riri Williams. Once we get to her and, and we have that, that, the thing on the bridge it all feel it all feels like it's coming together but that first i'll say the first third it it just doesn't gel as well as i would like and i, I think and that's my biggest knock on the movie's that that first third doesn't feel still very gel but it in rewatches, it rewatches that might be that might have been done i can't say on purpose cuz i think there are parts they want to gel better But that first third is also dealing with the freshness of the grief. And since it is Shuri's movie, like the way she's trying to deal with it, it could be a reflection of that. I don't know if that's entirely what was intended, but I mean, if if in further rewatches, that becomes more apparent, then I, I won't have an issue with it. But that was like, watching the movie, I was like, this just feels like, you know, these things are good. It just doesn't feel like it like blends like I would expect it to. And then we meet Riri, and once we meet Riri and that fight happens, the chase and the fight happens, then it's like, that's kind of like, it feels like that's where the movie kind of really starts. Everything else are, are things, are like preambles, and the movie starts there. And then once the movie starts, it's all cohesive. It tells the story it wants to tell, and it does it in the way it wants, wants to do it, and it all feels right it's just that first third is like what really bothers me
0: so we're exact opposites on this uh i love the first half of the movie i love everything up until the third act basically um i love the killmonger uh cameo very nice to have michael b jordan as one of your best friends and keep him on speed dial um it's i i I love the the anger that she shows even though I, I feel like she comes off as more sad than angry in a lot of places um, but like my issues are third act issues and in specific the cross cutting that happens in the third act uh, where you're cutting between uh, Panther and um, Neymar the people on the boat and the blue angels and you're you're cross-cutting between these three interactions uh because you have the you have the people on the boat as a whole you have the big tough dude versus okoye in in that fight and then you have neymar and panther on the beach and so you have these three intercutting scenes and the geography especially on the boat gets really difficult to place who's who's who and where's where it gets very muddled and very jumbled at times and there are some editorial choices in the cross-cutting between those three fights that does not work for me and it almost that's the only part of the film that that third act battle that you have to have um is the only part where i feel what people say about you know being too ambitious and trying to do too much um that's like i I lost where i was in some of the action on the ship and you know i'm all i'm sitting here and i'm watching all this this cross-cutting and i'm like i don't need this just just put keep me on the beach that's where the main conflict of the movie is this is all side character stuff like cut back to that shorter than what you're cutting back to this because this is where your main action is and like to get to that stabbing scene where he stabs her with the spear and you in the shot from my audience the gasp from 300 plus people and when i tell you chad it was a sold sold out auditorium like i had to move seats four different times because the people who were sitting in my seats wouldn't move and so I had to move four different times to just to find a place to sit down. So, like, it was a sold-out In And the, the gasp in the reaction that you get when she stabbed, and then the next moment, you're cutting back away to a Koye and an old boy homeboy fighting on the ship and some one-liners. And it's like, that doesn't really work for me. Like, build, build the dramatic tension on the beach. And in contrast, I love what you do at the U.N with her speech and and cross-cutting that with the attack on the on the ship I like what you I love what you do with the the, the bridge Chase in Boston where uh you know that's where Letty Wright got hurt and injured on that particular stunt um you know it, I I like what you do with Remy Williams I like what you do with uh with Neymar taking shuri away and shuri inter- being introduced and putting a human face on the people of uh of takaya um which comes into play later where you know she's very much like i don't want to go to war with these people if i can avoid it because they're actually people who would be hurt um i like all that it's just that third act especially the third act battle that would qualify in my bad because i just i think it was poorly edited and you lose you lose choreo- uh, geography and right? and it kind of kind of messes some stuff up
1: i can i can see that um uh, the 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 third act battles are probably among the weakest of what ryan does but uh you know everybody has their weaknesses so but he to, still I- does
0: but he still does some vastly interesting things not just emotionally, but, but kinetically and in choreography and in terms of choreography in that fight between Killmonger and, um, and T'Chilla because he knows he has to get to the sunset, like the sunrise, he, he knows that's where he's going to go. So he's leading his characters there into that. And there, there doesn't seem to be a similar sense of purpose here, um, you don't get the sense that they're building the scene around getting Shuri to the spear. Mm. Whereas I think you you definitely felt they were building toward those two characters side by side, watching the sun rise as one dies. You know? Um, and so that's that's kind of, I you, you say it's a weak point for him. I don't necessarily think it's a weak point. I just think this, this particular third act battle was not done as well as the first third act battle he had. And Lord knows that he can choreograph the hell out of a fight because we've seen Creed.
1: Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I can. Now, hearing hearing your thoughts about it, uh, when I do watch it again, I, I I'll have a, I'll be more on the lookout for that. Um,
0: the cross cut seemed so. There were a couple of things, and we'll get to one of them here in a second when we talk about, um, the use of Chazwick Boseman. And then we'll, we'll of course talk about that. Uh, we'll, we'll of course talk about that post credit tag. But um, there were a couple of things in here that screamed test screening to me, and some of the edit choices in the third act screamed test screening. Um, and there are a couple of eighty yard, heavily eighty yard lines that mm. suggest to me that things happened in the screening where fans were like, we're unclear on to how this happened. And so they had to go back in and add lines in to kind of clear up any confusion. And that's something I haven't really noticed a ton in other Marvel movies, but I definitely noticed it here.
1: Yeah. Uh um hmm. Yeah, I'm really gonna be paying attention to that scene now. Uh I don't to, watching it, I remember not being the biggest fan of it, except well, of the ship stuff on the ship, the Shiri Namor stuff. Um the sure name more stuff was very, very like compelling to me, but uh, yeah, I'll be looking out for that. Um, like, are, are we, are we done with the good, bad stuff? We are. Okay. Well, before we get off that, cause I just realized that I didn't say a goddamn thing about Namor. And like, I really like this dude, man. Like I, look, I read comics all my life. I've seen Namor in the comics. Namor is an insufferable son of a bitch. Uh, I think i said this before but the last thing i read was um a comic the, the illuminati says most people are familiar with that concept now are meeting about something and they're meeting in the middle of basically what this movie is based on uh namor flooding wakanda and wakanda and and atlantis uh atlantis in the comics being at war but uh namor and t'challa are on the Illuminati, so they have to deal with this Illuminati business while their two countries are at war, and Namor, this son of a bitch, he's like going to Charles. is like, look, as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to kill you, because you are an asshole. And they didn't dial Namor up all the way to complete asshole, but you could see it, and you could see why people, like, you could see why people follow him. But you can see why he's an asshole, but he's like one of those kind of charming, likable assholes. Like and 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 he's he's slightly terrifying too. Because that uh you know that there's several points where he's like really like calmly talking about things like murdering, slaughtering people, and he's just matter-of factly telling people this, uh, oftentimes in the middle of the ocean, which is terrifying in its own right. The dude could be could be scary and they kind of touched on all those different parts and the actor playing Namor uh, I know how to say his first name is Tanuk. I I think it's Hotera, is his last name he did a bang up job with Namor I want to see more of this dude I don't know when we'll see him next but I I don't think we've seen him the last of him and I don't think we have to wait till a Black Panther 3 to see more of him but he was great oh and, and the whole underwater stuff uh you know, I like that their decision to, with the underwater stuff is whereas like Aquaman and Avatar have gone with like the really, really pristine, pretty water. They went with the very like lived in kind of feel to the to the all the water stuff. Uh, it looks like water. People would have actually people would actually swim in because it's not crystal clear. Uh, it's kind of murky at time. It, it, but it feels like water we would really interact with i like that choice um and i also again and i like the choice of everything with talokan and and making it of this other culture uh this uh mesoamerican indigenous culture that a lot of people don't get to see uh so yeah said all that I, I'm done. we can we can go to other stuff now
0: yeah and say, same with uh for me with the underwater stuff that. Uh in the beginning in the first act, because my thing is yeah, I could totally dig a Ryan Coogler, like underwater terror movie. Now, like, you know, I could, I could get behind him doing an underwater remake or a jaws remake that, that dude could, could pull off some suspense and terror in the ocean.
1: Yeah. yeah Cause like one of the earliest appearances they do with the water. I'm like, this is why I don't like deep water this right here. And he, he captured that. And I, I'm going to say, I guess he was able to get some of that because he didn't know how to swim, so I would imagine any water is terrifying to him, and he, he figured that out, even though I will give him credit. Uh, and the cast that didn't know how to swim, they all learned how to swim. Uh, they all took lessons, uh, which included Namor himself didn't know how to swim before this. Indeed. So, Chad, let's talk about what is particular,
0: what is, to me anyway, the most concise and proper coda to a marvel's film in history this feels like the most natural continuation of the end scene there has ever been let's talk about the post credit the mid-credit stinger uh for black panther wakanda forever um first of all what did you think going in what did you think of the reveal and where do you think that it ranks in terms of importance
1: for the NCU? Um, so okay, going in, uh, I tried to avoid as much as I could, but I did hear that the mid-credit scene was one of the most impactful MCU scenes ever. So hearing that, and when the end credit scene starts, and it starts exactly where Shuri left, exactly where we left Shuri at the end of the movie, I'm like, are we gonna do some weird where somebody just pops up where she's at right now. We're gonna shoehorn something in like that. Uh so off the top, I was I was very skeptical. I'm like, what are we doing? Um, and then having it play out where uh the Chala and uh and um and Lupitas character that is her name just let me and I know it, but they had a son, uh and like when when they when he came when she came up and said this is your auntie, I'm like oh. Before anything else happened, my immediate thoughts was, okay, so this is how they're going to do it, and that was further capped off when when he told her his Wakanda name, which is also T'Challa, and as soon as he said that, I'm like oh, this is a big F you to all those recast T'Challa uh, people out there. They have give, they have given you. A new Shyamala, without having to replace Chadwick Boseman, and now it opens up all kind of possibilities. So I do think, in the end, it is very it is a very impactful uh, mid credit scene. I I don't know if it's the most impactful. I think it's it's up there because of what this is going to have impacts for how this franchise goes forward. Um, but and last point about that is. Uh, I think it's you know i think it's very intentional what his actual like what names he, he is introduced by um uh, and i have to be credit to another podcast uh i was listening because they brought it up i i knew the name tucson before i knew i'd heard it lots of times but that name and for them being in haiti they named him after uh like as far as I know, one of, or if not the only like successful, uh, slave revolt revolt was led by, uh, Tucson. I forget his last name. So they gave him that very impactful name. Like, so he's carrying the name of that and his father, the Wakandan King. And I think that's very intentional. Uh, it, if it makes me really believe that Ryan will be back to do something with this character in particular uh to have him be a represent like a true representative of Wakanda and the outside world and what that outside world means by tying him to that name as well so this 5 minutes with this little boy uh i do think it's very very impactful for the fran- the the future of the franchise and as the franchise goes it's going to inevitably be important for the future of the MCU going forward
0: okay so i had heard that they were introducing a new hero and i was surprised when they started the scene in the um right where the movie ends because that's not something that all of these codas do um the biggest one that i can think of is robert Downey jr walking in from you know his i am iron man press conference into his home and Nick fury is waiting for him on his couch that's about as close as i can i can get um You know, the other one might be the introduction of the trailer for Avengers at the end of um, Captain America, the first Avenger, where Nick Fury goes to talk to him in the gym with the uh, punching bags. Um, But once she started talking and Chad, when I tell you, it was one of the loudest reactions I've ever heard in a movie theater when she says this, you know, this is your this is your auntie. It, that was a huge pop, and then it was an even bigger pop when you get the Wakandan name. And I was not surprised after I saw it because one of the things that I brought up earlier was an eighty-yard line, right? Mm. Right before Neymar shows up, uh, Angela Bassett is talking to Letty Wright, and there is a heavily eighty-yard line in there where she says. There's this thing about your brother, and Neymar interrupts, and then you go from there, and you never pick it back up. And then right before the movie closes, um, Lupita Nyong'o's character tells Shuri that she needs to go take care of something before they can go down and do the ritual. And she's like, No, no, I don't, I don't need you to go down there with me to do the ritual. I need to do this on my own. And so you put the pieces together. She says in the post-credit sting that the mother knew about the kid, so that would tell me that Angela Bassett was going to tell uh, Lapita Nawanga or was going to tell Letty Wright about was, about Black Panther's mother, child, yeah. right there. Right. Two, because the child lives with her, obviously, she was going to introduce them to her in the house when they went to go get the stuff for the ritual. Mm-hmm. but she put that on and so you put those things together and it's obvious they were pointing you to this this moment where they were going to make this big reveal and i think it, it works on a number of emotional levels it works on a number of technical levels comic book levels but my biggest thing is we we make fun of or at least i have made fun of uh bbs for years for being the movie that starts with a funeral ends with a funeral um black panther Wakanda forever is the movie that starts with chaswick boseman's legacy and his photos and ends with chaswick boseman and his legacy in his photos to wit the very last thing you see on the credits before you get the post credit sting it or the mid credit sting is dedicated to chaswick boseman so like that that kind of legacy and the idea that that legacy could live on through a male heir is an interesting thing that I wasn't expecting going forward.
1: Yeah, it it was, it was not part of my mind. Like once, before, like months ago, leading into this, um, before we had like confirmation that they were going to do the death of Chala, um, I just thought uh, I always kind of held on to this hope that they were going to do something where he wasn't dead. He was just not there they thought he was dead and then uh they tie in the the black panther mythology of the king of the dead and that's where he was and that would let them recast but once we got to the death of chachala i was like okay fine that's what they're doing we're moving past this and did it, the, get... and
0: did it the realistic way
1: right um uh, yeah with it with that death they really tied in like how they felt found out and, and how what really was happening with Chadwick? Because they they said he was. I remember the line when they said he he suffered in silence. He didn't tell anybody, which is what Chadwick really did. And I know that that like weighed heavy on them. Because in the podcast I listened to today, like Ryan was like, "I never knew that dude when he wasn't when he didn't have this. Like when I when I met him, he had already been dying. Like putting it all together afterwards." When I met him, he had already been diagnosed. I had no idea. So he said he met him in 2015. He had been diagnosed. But he figured out that he'd probably been diagnosed earlier that year. So from the moment he met him, he had this. And he suffered through it and didn't tell anybody. And nobody knew. So he incorporated that into into the film. And and I, I didn't think they would go that way. But that's the way they did it. and I, And you can feel... That it feels more genuine from everybody involved. Um
0: the heart the heartbreak where she asked for the update on her brother's heart rate.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah, when uh and that's when you know Ramonda already walked in and she already knows. And yeah, that it's they it's it you can feel the emotion and people can relate to that. And yeah, they I think they I thought they did a good job with with showing that and dealing with the funeral and then yeah at the end with uh the 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 honor of him basically at the end um and i've gone off on that tangent i forgot where i was going originally so i'll I'll turn it back over to you
0: i mean i love when you pay something off like that where like it's a small thing it's a subtle thing but if you put the pieces together they're leading you to this play this point and I think it's a huge plus it fits another mold of phase four which is introducing younger Avengers you know we get Cassie Lang we get an Endgame we get um we get Isaiah Bradley's grandson in um in Falcon and Winter Soldier um you get Miss Marvel you get uh uh you get Miss Marvel you get a few others along the way so like it's not unusual to have younger versions of characters and you also get female versions i mean you get you know black widow you get iron heart you get uh she hulk you get lady thor you get um uh get a a few other uh you get you get cleo uh from dr strange so like you get female characters too um but I thought that this was just a very clever way to do it in an emotionally impactful and the the joyous celebration when he gives his his Wakandan name in that theater was something I'll never forget, and I'm sure it was like that in places all around the country. And that's it's a much better way than just giving into the trolls and
1: recasting. Right. It, they they found a they found a way to. Oh, that's where I was going with it. Um. What once. They said that they were doing the death. I just I thought it was, you know, we're just gonna move on. We won't have T'Challa. They might do some multiversal madness crap later on. But you no, know, that's that's the decision they made. We just gotta live with it. But they did it, they've found a way to give us a T'Challa in the most human way possible, in that it is I I, I mean, in Black Panther, the the title has been about legacy since we met the character here, and and now we're we're continuing that this is another legacy so has passed is passing this on eventually it'll be passed on to his son who shares his name um and and will be a and just looking at it i think he will be a more worldly T'Challa, but i think he will still be as honorable and well-intentioned that his as his father was so i it's very intentional and they've and they've opened themselves up to do a lot of different things. My only question is, are we really ra- waiting, like, fifteen years to get this kid in a suit because he's got to be like six, and I, I don't think that's happening.
0: Yeah, it, it'll. I think that'll happen. I think that you'll get one more film with Letty Wright as, um as Black Panther, and then none of us know what kind of wacky stuff they're going to do with the realignment of the timelines because, as we went over last time, in Secret by the end of Secret Wars. Um, there's going to be a unification of the timelines again. And, and that that can include some all kinds of shenanigans, which is why you don't necessarily care for, and I sometimes don't necessarily care for time travel and, and uh, timeline hopping. But uh, I think this is the right move. I'm excited for it. I'm also excited for what, where we go with Shuri. Now that she's been through her emotional journey, I'm anxious to see what we get with Ironheart and what that story is going to be. Cause I feel like you could really, if you wanted to, tie the Ironheart story with the Armor War story, which is now going to be a movie. Um, because it's essentially Stark chat, Star Tech. Um, but it it's it's gonna be interesting to me. And it's it's a it just it was an enjoyable time at the movies, but it was a movie that made me think. And that is something that, you know, I really enjoyed.
1: I'm with you on that.
0: And and we can both agree that that Grandpa Martin Scorsese probably shit his pants when he saw that the Phil bombs uh, had the same per theater average as Black Panther Wakanda Forever, except the Phil bombs was only in four theaters and Wakanda <laughs> Forever was in four thousand theaters.
1: So, oh, I'm sure he uh yeah he had a reaction.
0: All right, well that'll about do it for episode two hundred and ninety nine. Of the Movies on the Brain podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can aid us and abet us by badgering Kevin Feige over the internet to <laughs> come on this podcast, and follow us on Twitter. I am at bcw tiger fan. The show is oh, yeah. on at on the Brain Pod,
1: and I am at the Mess Theory. And I blinked on that for a second. So yeah, I'm, I'm old. Sorry.
0: He's he's at the Mess Theory, and we our producer is at Grantel Fletcher. Thank you very much and have a pleasant evening.